We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, and I'm thrilled to introduce my new podcast, TE1. TE1 will chronicle a 60-year evolution of the tight end position, from its origins as an obscure, overlooked blocking role to the versatile superstar position that it is today. I'll explore the evolution of the position through conversations with some of the all-time game-changing tight ends. And just like the incredible tight ends we sit down with on my new show, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. This truck is all about grit, strength, and dependability. The same attributes it takes to be a tight end. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by Indeed and BetOnline.ag. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius, and we uh, <laughs> we accidentally recorded a special episode talking about the Clippers, uh, so if you have not tuned into that, give that a listen. That was a conversation that led up to this, and in that pod, Darius brought up the idea of appropriate fear. And how you have to respect the game to a certain degree. And just because you're very talented does not mean that you'll be granted anything. And appropriate fear is a necessary ingredient to motivating people toward giving it their best. The Lakers are playing a team that they did not expect to be playing in the Western Conference Finals. A team that they went... 3-1 3-1 and one against in the regular season. One of them was a bubble game where Denver didn't play their guys. So let's say 2-1 and one during the regular season. The one game that Denver won was when LeBron did not play. The other two wins were full strength on the road in Denver. And 
in fact, one of them was the game right before the All-Star break, my personal favorite regular season game of the year, even though it started like the first half of it was, yeah, it build, it builds up. And um, the Lakers have a lot of reasons to be like, oh, we got this. And when you are in the mentality of we got this, it can be a very dangerous place to be. There are also components of the Denver team that makes them uniquely dangerous. You pointed out as we were talking leading up to this. What is it about Denver that makes that the Lakers need to have an appropriate fear of? Well, I just think that appropriate fear to me is not only like a respect for the game, but it's a certain respect for the opponent, right? And, and, and so like I was t- telling you, man, before we started to record is that Denver is a very... They are they are dangerous in a very specific way before we even talk about X's and O's mm-hmm. and personnel stuff, right? And and from the Lakers standpoint, when we talk about appropriate fear, I think that it's a certain amount of respect for their opponent and understanding sort of the psychological nature of where their opponent is coming into this series, right? And so not only do the Lakers think that like or could the Lakers think that Denver wasn't supposed to be the opponent? Everyone on the outside definitely thinks that. It's why every podcast today was about the Clippers and not about the Nuggets. It's why we recorded a podcast that was about the Clippers, uh-huh. right? First, before sure. we started to talk about the Nuggets, right? And, and it's this idea of the Nuggets were not supposed to be here. They were considered the inferior team. They were underdogs. And that idea is only going to be tripled down on against the big bad Lakers, Lakers, of course, right? And so Denver is playing with house money, right? Because no one expects them to win this series, and they're going to use that as like a driver for them, if not necessarily like us against the world, then for them to play free, right? Like Jokic, Jokic actually said this in relation to the Clippers going into game seven, like there's no pressure on us, Mm -hmm. right? Like all of the pressure is on the Clippers. Like we weren't, no one expects us to win. We wouldn't have recorded a Nuggets podcast had it ended the other way around, right? We would not. so, (laughs) So not only is there that like we're playing with house money, no one expects us to win type, type of mentality. The Nuggets, you... So you have to combine that with the fact that the Nuggets are now an extremely confident team, Mm -hmm. right? They have come back from multiple 3-1 deficits in the same playoffs. Right, and and double-digit leads. It's not just confidence, it's resilience, right? Like the idea that there's going to be no point of the game where they're like, oh, we're out of this. If we, if as the Lakers, we do this thing, right? Well, we'll go up by 20 and then just like completely let our foot off the gas. And now it's eight in like one of them, like 12 runs in a minute 30. It's like, come on, y'all. Like you turn the ball over twice in the backcourt. Like what's going on? And we're prone to that. If we give those opportunities to the Nuggets, like they're going to jump all over those because there's not going to be a point where they feel like they can't come back no that's exactly right and so just combine those two things together right no one expects us to win we're super underdogs but we think we can beat anyone under any circumstances because that's exactly what we've done the first two rounds and so think of where they are at mentally 
So remove the X's and O's, remove the personnel, and think of where they're at mentally. The Lakers cannot read their press clippings before they go into this series. They cannot start to feel like, oh, well, the Clippers are gone, right? It was supposed to be the hallway series right in, in Orlando. That's, that's now gone. The Bucks, right, who had the best record in the league, they're now gone. The two biggest impediments who were, or who were supposed to be the biggest impediments to the Lakers actually winning a championship are no longer in the bubble, mm-hmm. right? So the Lakers need to protect against that sort of thing before they even watch a second of film, yep. oh, yeah, before they even start to prep for any sort of like Denver specific stuff, the mindset needs to be right. I, because if I feel like if we take it, this team seriously, we will beat them, right? And that the scheme is not terribly important. We'll talk some of that in the second half, but like taking this team seriously is, I would say, in this series, far and away more than because there's such that natural. Uh, you know, inclination to let down like that, that feeling of we got this, that's poison. It's always poison to feel like, oh, you can, you can relax when you're in the middle of competing for something, of working for something. That's, that's when, you know, someone, especially a team like Denver, like you said, the combination, it's not just that they've come back. It's the combination of everything that makes them just exceptionally dangerous. Well, and also too, man, like, and we'll get into this more in the second half of the pod, but Denver is a good team. Mm-hmm. They are talented. They do have like an all NBA level player and someone who, based off of how he's raised his game in the playoffs, not just these playoffs, but even last year's year's playoffs, should probably be discussed as like one of the top like eight to twelve players in the league, right? And so in in Nikola Jokic, and then and Murray's been a monster. Murray. Man. And Murray's just been so great. Um, and, and we'll dive into some of the specifics, I think, around Murray later in the pod and, and, and just what he does from a tactical standpoint that makes him, if not necessarily like a unique player in the way that Jokic is a unique player, but a very dangerous one based off of his approach and style and, and how he can do a lot of damage offensively. And then they've got all these role like role players and all of this other stuff that that Denver's just a really good team. Mm-hmm. And and so now I just spent this whole time talking about like, oh, like these factors about the Nuggets and and, and you know, their mindset about being able to come back and the resiliency and um, the underdog stuff. There's also just the this, the appropriate fear of, hey, that's a really good basketball team mm-hmm. that's over there. They were the third seed in the conference. If you were making like every – and people thought Houston might be the next biggest threat to the Lakers besides the Clippers. But the team that was actually there for basically the entire year, they were actually the two seed for most of the season. The Clippers like overtook them late in the year was the Denver Nuggets, mm-hmm. right? They were the team who was in the conference finals last year. Or, I'm sorry, they lost to Portland. Mm-hmm. Right, um, in the second round. And they're just a really good basketball team. They're well-coached. They've got all of these ingredients. Like, you need to respect them for what they are. Yes, so this is, I, w- I want to get into this, because this is 
one way in which small market teams can be overlooked in the national discourse is they're one of those teams that, you know, they they get one step f- further each year. Like it's kind of like the same group of dudes that have been together for several years, and it's like, oh, we made the playoffs, right? A few years back, and that's great. And then, uh, or like they just missed one year, right? It was them in Minnesota, and they won like forty-eight games. Then they made the playoffs, right? Then it's we're in the second round, and then this year it's the Western Conference Finals. Kind of their their arc is a, a fairly common one in NBA history when talented teams stay together, right? And very much like the OKC Durant Westbrook Harden team exactly. without sort of like that that top level guy or guys that drive that right? right like Jokic is like a second round pick and Murray was like the seventh pick in the draft right, right? and and so there is not that pedigree Gary Harris of like, right Mm-hmm. of like, oh, Kevin Durant was the second pick in the draft and Westbrook was, and and Westbrook and Harden were both top four picks. Like, like there's a pedigree that comes with that where that sort of expectation is baked in mm-hmm. to those types of players. Denver doesn't have that. So not only are they a small market team, but they are a team that from a talent standpoint, they don't have that same pedigree of expectation that is then baked into this trajectory. But again, all of that's like expectations. It's the same thing with the Clippers, right? They're the flip side of the same expectations coin, right? They actually beat the Clippers. They went out there and did it. And it's just the massive dis- difference in expectations is how we that's how how we talk about them is framed, right? And but those teams that have stayed together of a core player group growing together especially with how they've fought and how they haven't given up, like no matter what happens in this series, they're going to be feeling great about themselves going into the summer and they should be right. Um, But they, they aren't just like a plucky group. Like they can actually hoop a little bit. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to get in, going to get into some of the X's and O's and some of the personnel and the, the reasons why the series may go the way it will, you know, what it will hinge on. So uh, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with that. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash podcast. This is their best offer available anywhere. So right now, go to Indeed.com backslash podcast. Terms and conditions apply, and the offer is valid through September 30th. The NBA and NHL are playing for gold, and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. Get in on all the action, including a new NBA bracket contest with plenty of chances to win. MLB season is pushing into fall, and there's no shortage of ways to bet with hundreds of odds, futures, and props. So take advantage of the return of sports. And remember, the casino never closes. Check it out all day and all night. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your welcome bonus. That's betonline.ag, promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. (laughs) 
So Darius, in this last series, we went small after game one. You know, we didn't bench JaVale until game three, in the second half of game three. But Dwight stopped playing, you know, he only played in game one. Uh, JaVale was eventually out of the rotation as the series progressed. And we found this really productive small ball lineup with Markeith Morris replacing JaVale. Um, From a Lakers perspective... Denver's a different team compositionally than Houston is by by decent amount. And Frank Vogel commented today that we'll probably go back to more of, you know, uh, we played a small ball team and that was for them, but we'll probably go back to more of what we do. Does, where do you stand in terms of the center position? Because Jokic is their key guy. And I think the decisions that we make revolving around that spot will uh, have more to determine the series than I think normally would. So what's what's your perspective on kind of that Lakers-Bigs versus Jokic matchup? So I'm a bit torn here. Um, on the one hand, the Lakers have Anthony Davis. He played mostly center the last series, even though Markeith Morris played center, right, when they showed the graphics before each game. But, but Anthony Davis played center. And Jokic is the center. Anthony Davis, not coincidentally, was named, you know, All-NBA first team today, basically as the center on that first team. Um, One could definitely argue that, hey, why don't the Lakers just keep playing this lineup? And you match up Anthony Davis against Jokic, um, do that for as many minutes as you, as you can while both are on the floor. I'm one of those people, by the way. We'll get into that. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and so, look, that's a totally, like, good argument, and it probably wouldn't even take a lot to convince me to, like, be on that side of things. I do, however, see the other side of this, um, which is that one of the Lakers' strengths the entire year was that they had three big men, all of them good in their own way, all of them key rotation players. And I feel like one of the ways that the Lakers can leverage what I think is a key strength of theirs this series, which is their athleticism, yeah. Yeah. is by playing those guys and sort of going back to the formula that you use the entire season, right? Where, okay, yeah, for your first... Guess what, Jokic, for your first six minutes, you're going to see JaVale McGee. And then if you play the majority of the rest of the first quarter, then you get some Anthony Davis. And then if you go out and you come back in the first two minutes or three minutes of the second quarter, guess what? Now you get Dwight Howard. And then after that, you get Anthony Davis again. And then, right, and so, so to me, mm-hmm. there is like this cute, like there is a possibility of using this cumulative effect. Yes, of I want to do that too. Yes, yes, like yes, Jokic is like a fantastic player, and yes, at this stage of his career, he's clearly much better than JaVale McGee and even Dwight Howard, mm-hmm. right? But those two players specifically offer a couple of physical things that I think can matter against very a much so. like like. Well, like Jokic, JaVale is a very springy athlete with, like, great length. And Dwight is, like, Dwight's like the juggernaut, man. Like, he Mm -hmm. is this big, strong dude who is going to lean on you and push you out of the way and just body you. Um, 
And, and then you've got Anthony Davis, who is just an all-world player in general, right? And this idea that you can sort of comet Jokic in waves with talented big men, I think that there's merit in going at things that way. Um, I, and on some levels, one of the only real ways to do that with all three of those guys in the lineup is to probably go back to your old starting lineup. Like, I don't necessarily see how you start Morris um, and, and then have AD basically functionally guard Jokic, right? AD plays the whole first quarter. Like, are you going to then disrupt your lineup and then bring JaVale in? Like, like, I don't know. The Lakers have done a lot of good things this year with their rotation. I think that they've done more than what they've gotten credit, credit for, particularly from, from the folks who like to criticize Frank Vogel. That said, um, I'm torn. And so you're saying that you're sort of on one side of this rather than, than the other. So I'd love to hear your take on this. Yeah, so we're I think we see this the same way, that the Lakers bigs can cumulatively I want to exhaust Jokic. That is like maybe number one if I'm, you know, drawing up a game plan of how I, I want this series to go. Just thinking of their for all of the resilience that they the Nuggets have gotten in their comebacks, they've got to be pretty close to spent. Like I've been watching those games, man. They've been playing hard. And at some point, no matter how much heart you've got, the body will stop responding, right? And I think that that is especially difficult against a team. Like this year, I've talked so much about the bigger, stronger, faster Lakers. And what you're seeing is in the playoffs, teams get worn down by us very quickly. Both series in those those first two series really went in a similar way. Now, you talked about like LeBron in the last pod, right? And he's kind of like the nitro boost where, oh, we're down by two and it's game three and it's the fourth quarter, right? Like, you know, LeBron hits the nitro boost and we're up eight going into a timeout and we've got things under control. But the we're able to wear down teams. That's part of what's in our arsenal, right? Is that we've got a guy that can go nuclear while even on a 40, 48 minutes basis, we're exhausting because we're so big and fast on defense, especially. So the idea of exhaustion is the one that I really want to narrow in on. And with respect to Jokic, you got to be tired, man. He'd been handling huge responsibility and, uh, you know, seven game series, these first two, Make him run with AD, right? And I'm in a kind of in-between place where I want this to be AD and Dwight Howard, but not as much JaVale. Hmm. Um, because I think that it's kind of a... Uh, like you said, Dwight is a juggernaut. Dwight is so strong. I've worked on this. I'll probably release this during the offseason, but this video on his offensive rebounding. And he just... I would hate to play against that guy, right? He's so unmercilessly physical. And then AD presents physical problems in another way. It's like running with him. It's trying to yeah. slide your feet and move with him. They're going to target you in the, uh, you know, in the um, LeBron AD pick and rolls. I want I want Jokic having to defend as much as possible. I don't want him having to like being able to take breaks on the defensive end. Um, you know pick and pops. I want him making long closeouts to AD. I want, I think AD can do to Jokic what AD did to Nurkic and Whiteside on the perimeter, right? 
And I want to pull him out on that end while being kind of exhausting on the other end. And so I think I don't see the... I would expect the Lakers to go back to their original starting lineup. Um, we, we shall see. But I don't know what JaVale provides that would... Because like JaVale doesn't have the strength. Like how does how does Jokic exhaust how does JaVale exhaust Jokic is basically my question. Well I would frame this differently in that I think you're you're looking to split the difference and I think that that's a good approach. Um I think with A D, right, you get all the benefits of JaVale and none of the drawbacks. And right, so you get you get extreme length, you get all the bouncy athleticism. And then you get all of the IQ and instinct stuff that JaVale is not as good at, right? Um, but AD has that in spades. And so this idea of like, okay, well, yeah, like we're going to start Morris. And then AD is going to play a bunch. And then you're going to come back with Dwight Howard. Um, and then you're going to go back to AD and Morris, right? Um, like that's a... That's a recipe that I think I could get behind. Um, and it'd be very interesting if Vogel decided to go in that direction. I'm not sure what yeah, he'll do. Part of it goes into like how many minutes can Dwight play, right? In that, can you yeah. can you up his minutes? He didn't play at all. And so now we're like, all right, Dwight, you're a 28-minute-per-game guy when you were a 18- or 20-minute 20-minute-game guy for most of the season and haven't played in the whole series. So that'll factor in, too. Yeah, like... I- also, too, like, can he stay out of foul trouble? Right. And, and right, like, like, there's other factors that go into this, right? Um, I do know, though, that the Lakers would probably struggle to, like, put a smaller dude on Jokic. And so I do think that this is a series where they're going to have to play a like-sized guy on him I agree. for pretty much the entire time that he's going to play. And I would imagine he's going to play in between 38 and 42 minutes. Like, yeah. If, if they're going to win this series. Now, whether he can hold up um, physically and maybe even more important, like mentally. But that's the thing, man, is like think about 38 to 42 minutes against the Lakers. And that's that's why like exhausting him is at a premium, right? Is that yeah. what they need to do to win this series, it, like we need to take away their capability of doing that, not just from an X's and O's standpoint or from a, a per, like it, it it has to be even more from an approach standpoint. So this is like attacking them in transition, like always putting him in ball screens. It's like more than just a personnel thing, right? Yeah, it's definitely, there is a strong schematic point to this. And I know that you had said earlier dur- during the pod, like, oh, I think that, that the X's and O's stuff is going to matter less than like the physical stuff. And, and I definitely think that that's true. I think though that this is a, that this is likely a series where the X's and O's stuff is going to amplify the, like you'll use the X's and O's stuff to amplify the physical stuff rather than using your physical tools to amplify your X's and O's stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is what the Lakers did against Houston. It was almost the opposite where they said strategically, we need to do this. Right, we need to trap and rotate behind the traps, and we need to. And in order to execute that, we need a certain type of physical personnel on the floor in order to execute what our game plan is. Right. Right. Whereas I think the Lakers are going going to say, our goal here is from a physical one. We want to run. We want to be physical on the floor at at all five positions, and then 
from what can we do from a Nexus and O standpoint to amplify those advantages in order to then like exhaust them, wear them out, like physically just sort of like when like it's like the tug of war analogy that I've made a bunch of times, right? Like, but but pull that knot of the rope, like, okay. If over the first six minutes you pull it three inches and then the next six minutes it's another three inches and then by the end of the game you're like, oh, it's a full foot and a half in our direction sure. now. And that's hard to overcome then by the time that you get down to the last like eight to ten minutes of, of a basketball game. And so I do think the Lakers will be trying to do that this series. Um, but it's going to be tricky. Jokic is... Jokic is a supremely smart and, um, like, the feel that he has sure. for making the right play. So, like, there's smarts and then there's feel. Yeah. Right? And the <laughs> yeah. best players are both. Yeah. Right? So, you can know exactly what you're supposed to do, but if you can't, but if you can't adapt to that situation consistently and feel exactly like, oh, no, I need to dip my shoulder here in order to get to this spot on the floor because that's where the rotation is. And then now I'm there. And now and now what are you going to do about it? Right. And. and um, Jokic is that sort of player, mm -hmm. and he knows exactly how to leverage his particular physical gifts. Right. Which is like bruising strength. And sort of a pace and tempo that he plays with that is sort of tough to navigate when you're not used to seeing it over the course of like a single basketball game. Well, it's but I, to me, it's his passing, right? It's his like he's one of the elite playmakers in the game. And this is why this is why it's somewhat of a practical matter to me to go bigger for sure than the Houston series, but n not necessarily the same distribution as we did during the regular season. And my thought process on that is they're the first team where most most of the time they will have five guys on the court who can shoot threes. Part of the reason why our defense worked against Houston are the minutes where Russell Westbrook is in. We can pull enough attention from him, and there's a if we have to leave somebody open. Ideally, we don't. We make all our rotations and everything works great. But if if there's any question of do I cover P.J. Tucker in the corner, or do I cover Russell Westbrook on a wing three? It's an obvious decision every single time on which one you do. And if you give up that wide open three, like, okay. And so that makes scrambling defense like ours look really good. Because even when we mess up, it ain't going to burn us nearly as often. You can't do that against Denver. Denver's, Mason Plumlee's the only guy that is is not a three-point threat that they play consistently. And that's the first team that we've played because, you know, the the Blazers, Whiteside didn't go out there. Nurkic would go out there, but it's not really, you know, a big part of his game. Um, Millsap and Jokic, uh, both Millsap's a great passer too. And so it's going to be by nature, although maybe this plays into the argument of playing more bigs. I don't think we're going to trap as much. I don't think we're going to, I thought we were going to trap Kawhi. That was one thing. If we did a preview on that, I thought we were going to do the same thing, but they've like trapping Jamal Murray to get a four on three short roll with Jokic and Millsap involved in that. You're going to get, it's going to be crispy, right? Um, that also well, starts to make Jamal Murray a little more difficult. I don't know. I'm, I'm talking well, myself in both directions on this. 
I, I mean, Jokic is too good of a passer, and he passes guys open. Um, Murray had it going. At, one of the reasons why the Game 7 between Denver and the Clippers went in the direction it did, especially in the second half, was because Murray was scoring so well. And so Doc Rivers then decided, well, then we're going to take the ball out of his hands, right? We're going to show higher. Right. We're going to trap him more at the point, point of attack. Yeah. And Murray and Jokic, have just, they just have great chemistry, man. They've been playing together sure. basically Murray's entire career. And so Murray knows when he needs to make the pocket pass. He knows when he has to make the hook pass. He's bigger than you give him credit credit for. So he's not he's not five foot eleven or six foot one. He's like, you know, he's like six three. Like he's a he's a good sized guard. Sure. He's not a little he's not a little dude. And and so he can make he can make the pass he needs to make to get Jokic into the short roll. And then Jokic was just passing guys open. He was just making the right decision over and over and over again. And that's the type of thing where there is no there there is no rotating. No, some to somebody's that. gonna be open. On those four on Someone those four is on going threes, to be open. Right. That's something that against Houston, right? If you're making their playmakers make that decision. With Jokic, you're talking one of the best passers in the world. And again, Millsap's up there as one of the better passing bigs in the NBA, and he would be involved in some of those as well. So yeah, so yeah, the thing so that, that concerns me more actually is like pick and pops. Sure. Then, right with and, respect to going big. Well, or just in general, whenever Jokic is in the game, right? Like I feel like one of the things that's going to happen. I could see this series going in a couple of different directions strategically with the pick and roll and with all of the dribble handoff actions that port, that um, Denver runs, excuse me. Um, it's very hard. It's very hard to get over the top of those screens when Jokic is setting them because he's just a big, wide dude. And they utilize that great by doing a lot of um, screen actions at the point, point of attack, either via straight pick and rolls or via dribble handoffs, right? And so one of the things that worries me when Jokic is on the floor and when Denver has five shooters on the floor, particularly those, those lineups where Michael Porter Jr. is in the game um, for Millsap, right? And so it's Michael Porter Jr., it's um, Jokic, Murray, and then um, like Jeremy Grant and um, Gary Harris, right? So all of those guys can shoot the three. Um, Jeremy Grant's more of a corner guy, but that's neither here nor there. He's a corner guy. They're going to put him in the corner. So when all those guys are in the game, they can go dribble handoff and then turn that into a pick and pop, or they can go pick and roll and turn it into a pick and pop. And it's hard to get over the top of the screen. Mm -hmm. So then Murray gets downhill. And so unless you're switching, right. I was just going to ask you has that. To show. Can, can we switch against them? Yes and no. Mm-hmm. Because when you do switch, then if it's Alex Caruso, who is on Jamal Murray, and then he ends up guarding Jokic, then they're going, then rather than pick and pop, he will pop. But then instead of after he pops to the three, he's going to take one, te- one step, two step, three step, get to the foul line. 
and then he's going to post up Caruso. He doesn't want, he doesn't necessarily even need to like run to the deep post. He will post at the mid post mm-hmm. or the high post. And then if you send help, he's going to find the open right. man. That's when you get into trouble. Like, yeah. This is why Jokic is a wholly unique player, right? Like he is, he has the ability to post you and get baskets in the post, right? And he can do that against like-sized players, um, but he'll especially do that against smaller players. But what makes him totally different than basically every other big man that's in the game is that he passes like a high-level point guard, right? Mm-hmm. Someone with just great feel for the game. So he understands defenses. He knows where guys are moving. He knows where the rotations are. He 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 throws a lot of no-look passes because he's looking you off in order to pass a guy open. And he gets guys easy baskets. He gets them easy baskets at the rim. And he gets them wide open three-pointers. Can you switch against him? Yes. But you're going to need to hold up in the switch. You're going to need to play great positional defense where I think you can make hay against him as a post defender, even as, as a small, smaller player, is if he is a bit more tired, is if he is more willing to settle. That's part right? of how so you make him tired. All of this stuff. Let me, let, me, let me run through a scenario with you. Just from a, yeah. like, I'm not saying this locks Jokic down or anything like that, but we switch, right? And it's uh, AD is now on Jamal Murray, and they choose to go away from that one-on-one matchup to Jokic versus Caruso. And Jokic is on the perimeter where he does a lot of his work. So now Denver decides they're going to exploit that Crusoe-Jokic matchup, and he's going to walk down to the elbow, like you said, which is where he normally will get there. Crusoe is going to be moving his feet to help prevent him to get into that post position. He'll eventually get there, right? But it's a matter of just making him work for it, making him work for every little thing. Now, Backing a guy down from the free throw line, from the elbow specifically, it's not a terribly high percentage play, even if it's Jokic on a Jokic on Caruso thing, because it's it's not just a straight back down. Is you have to do some face up work where Caruso, his best defensive skill, in my opinion, is his ability to like close out and recover. So like beat you to your spot. So he's just turning Jokic, turning Jokic, and every time Jokic has to turn, has to spin, that's uh, one more opportunity for one of our bigger guys, right, to kind of those not planned doubles, but that ability to sneak and force a turnover. Um, he'll, Jokic also will have a tendency to kind of throw like fading away passes. I think we can turn him over, um, that, and that's something that we'll really need to to focus on, but... I, I do think that we're going to see more switching. And now, if it's KCP in there, he doesn't hold up as well as Crusoe does in those circumstances. But I do think, or Rondo, right? But I, if we're looking at lineups where it's Crusoe's the only like smaller guard, I think that's when we're going to switch. And I think those are going to be. I think Crusoe's going to be in a lot of the closing lineups. So let's get off of Jokic for a second, because while I mm-hmm. do think that he is in the middle of everything that. Denver does offensively and he's such a good playmaker for them and he and in his own way he handles the ball a lot both as like a dribble hand handoff guy and just in the center of the offense um well I should say in in the post and then in the center of the offense via short rolls um Jamal Murray presents an interesting problem for yes. the Lakers. And I didn't want to go too much longer in the pod before we sort of addressed him. Oh, 100%. Let me, 
I'd love to hear your thoughts about Murray because to me he is he is an interesting sort of hybrid player of the types of guards that the Lakers have faced this entire mm-hmm. postseason, right? And um, to different levels of success, but one of the things that triggers Murray's success is that he has Jokic as like a partner. Yeah, 100%. Right? And, right. And, and you can't put as much heat on him because you've got like this one of the best passers in the world coming off of that short roll in a four on three. It, so you get less attention on Murray as a result. Exactly. And so Murray is a three level scorer, right? If you go under screens mm-hmm. on him, he will shoot the three. He will isolate you and shoot the step or not shoot the step back three, but he will use his quickness and sort of strength to get you off of him. And then he can elevate and, and shoot the isolation three. He can get downhill and he can shoot the pull-up jumper, he can shoot from floater range, and he can finish at the basket, right? So he is a Mm three-level scorer, and he can finish with both hands. He is just a very talented offensive guard. Um, And that presents a problem for the Lakers. Um, This is a series where I hate to... I've been hating people who jump in my mentions and say, well, this is where the Lakers could have used Avery Bradley. Because, you know, Bradley's not here. So it's just like, let's not even talk about Bradley. It's like, you you know, I could have used a winning lottery ticket yesterday. Guess what? Like, yeah, that's not happening. So I don't necessarily want to get into Bradley here. But this would have been, this would have been a series where I think Bradley could have you know, helped, especially against a point of, a guard, like point of attack guard like, like Murray. But... What kind of issues do you see Murray giving the Lakers based off of what you know about Denver's strategic approach with like their handoffs and their pick and roll heavy stuff, as well as his isolation ability? Yeah, he's he's another reason why, you know, JaVale and Dwight, like he can pick on those two. He's got that ability to step back and he's, he can quickly get into his shot. He's got a pretty low release point, but it does not, it's not really impacted because he's he's so crisp he's like he's one of the really growing technicians we've talked about this with like cj mccollum right and and uh and damian lillard there's like the technicians of the game he's one of the youngest you know the newest masters right where he's he's really brilliant in understanding his repertoire what move to use when and has worked on each move to you know to help create separation so he's wonderful at creating separation and taking advantage of it um and all of that said, I would not be as worried about him if it wasn't for Jokic, right? I think in the minutes where Jokic is on the bench and he's with Plumlee, we saw this in the Clippers series. Like there were a few times in the last couple of games, I was like, oh yeah, they need to get Jokic back in because yeah. they, they can't get a quality shot attempt. And that's, so Jokic taking that pressure off of him really helps, right? It gives him types of shot attempts that if you give Dame those shot attempts, like, you know, we... You can't defend Dame the way that we—we can't defend Murray the way that we defended Dame as a result of Jokic in his passing. And so, I—what I saw, especially down the stretch of close games, is he—he really struggled with our size and athleticism. And there was just a certain breaking point where I always know a guy struggling with that when he's contorting around the rim. Right when you're like waiting to fall for it's more as a, as a short guy myself. I remember like trying to finish in contact. Like I, 
just trying to go straight over the top, that gets swatted back into the fifth road, right? So it's a matter of like, I'm going to jump into you and kind of lean my shoulder to create separation. So I bring the ball down here and I got to shoot this scoop shot as I'm falling down, protecting just just all of that because I cannot finish over the top of you, I, but I still need to get my shot off. Jamal Murray does a lot of that stuff. And against Dwight, against Anthony Davis, against those guys, that's part of why I want to go to the switching route, uh, you know, whenever we can is I, I think that that kind of shuts that down, um, at, at least to a to a great extent. And so Jamuri is a fantastic scorer. I, my biggest concern is leaving him and the other guys open beyond the three-point line and our, our closeouts when we're not. Like, it's easy to close out when you know, like, we're going to be scrambling on this play, right? But we're going to have, I think, more of a stagnant defense. Um, and so, like, giving Murray open catch-and-shoot shots, I'm worried about. But, like, we need to, if we chase him off the, th- the three-point line, I think we're in good shape with him. Yeah. I worry about Murray just from the stand standpoint of he has proven these, these playoffs to be one of the more um, dynamic, like, get-hot players right mm-hmm. um sure there are certain guards who they can really turn a game pretty quickly based off of their ability to now hit two or three straight threes or combo a three with a layup and then another three and it's like oh suddenly this guy has scored 10 straight points and it's like that's triggering Right in in a way because it, it really does get the defense on their heels and then other things start to open up based off of um, the newfound attention that 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 is then directed at that player who is hot right like I I, mm-hmm. I think the epitome of that type of guy beyond like a Dame and a Steph is like a Kyrie Irving right which on some levels like Murray sort of works like him he he is not the finisher around the basket that Kyrie is in terms of craft, but he gets there and finishes all the same. And so there is, there is a, a, there's just a certain amount of punch that he has that concerns me. Um, What also concerns me too is that um, the level of fearlessness that he has in attacking, um, really does sort of put a defense in a reactive position a lot. And I feel like the mm-hmm. Lakers have been at their best this postseason and really this entire season on the whole when they're dictating the terms. When, right, like it may seem like the guard is being aggressive, but it's aggressive within the context of what the Lakers want them to be aggressive doing. And That's and right. Murray has the ability to sort of change, put that dynamic on its head a little bit because it's, I, I would argue it's Jokic. Yeah, well, yes, right. but Murray's the guy with the but, ball, right? And, and so he, sure, like he like sure. he works in tandem. That's the thing is is that his chemistry with Jokic is now they are very symbiotic, right? Oh, 100%. And, no, like it, like he gets Jokic helps Murray get shots that like Murray will kill you on, right? If if you let him get those. It's just like the things you can't do the same things against Murray because Jokic is around. I'm sorry, I'm hammering this point just because I, I think it's so prevalent in, you know, why why they're successful. I 100% agree. Um who do you I do not think you can put Danny Green on him. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't. Um, which basically leaves like KCP and Caruso, maybe even some Rondo. Um, in order of importance or in order of effectiveness, do you think Caruso's like the best option against him? Or do you think KCP will hold up fine? Or what do you think? No, I I think him versus KCP is a, a perfectly fine matchup. I think Caruso's our best defender of the bunch. So like, I think he'd always be our best on-ball option with him. Uh, Murray, it, it was funny. I remember him, Murray hit them three post-up fadeaways on Danny Green in the bubble game. And I was like, oh, that's fine. And then I was working on putting a Nuggets video together. And I was like, oh, he did that a couple times. Like, that was kind of a, a thing that they yeah. did. Like, I would have never expected, right? But um, yeah, I think that he's, just from a foot speed standpoint, I think that's a, a tough cover for Danny. Um, we also, the more that Danny's in, like, rotation and closing out, the better. Because uh, he's, he's still, you know, fantastic at that. And so, yeah, I, Caruso, I want to put heat on Murray. I want him to be chased off of the three-point line because I think if he gets funneled into our length, he's going to have a hard time. There's going to be those contorting shots. And uh, and he's obvi- he's fantastic from mid-range, so I, I'm not saying abandon him from there, but it's just a matter of putting back pressure on a guy, and Caruso's our best back yeah. pressure guard in the bubble. And I do agree with the point about Bradley. He would have been helpful in this series. So... We've talked a lot about Denver, right? Yes. And, and their offense. And we have not talked a lot, which is like the same, same problem. You, you know, maybe the Lakers will listen to our podcast and get mad all over again because someone is giving the opponent a lot of energy, right? About like how problematic they are. When in reality... Appropriate for your... Darius, appropriate for Yes. Very true. Very true, Pete. Right? That's what this yes. is. It, we... We, these are the things we got to worry about. And if we have an appropriate fear for them, I think we're going to be okay. I was going to say, though, that one of the themes of the Lakers playoffs so far is as much, as, a much, as much attention as we've paid to the opponent's strengths and what the opponent is good, good at, and for good reason, um, the difference in each of the series so far has been the other team's inability to deal with the Lakers' strengths, right? Particularly Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And so before the last series, we had said that it was a LeBron James series. And against Portland, it was probably a little bit of both, right? Like Anthony Davis was so good against Portland, but they also were guarding LeBron primarily with like Gary Trent Jr., and Carmelo Anthony, right, which are mismatches in their own own way. Um, Denver does have a couple of big wing defenders, like Jeremy Grant. I thought he did a really good job against Kawhi. Um, Torrey Craig, I thought he did a good job against Kawhi, and then against mm-hmm. Paul Paul George, um, Gary Harris. That's where the athleticism. That's where the athleticism on their team is 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 at the wing, right? And so I definitely think. LeBron is better than those guys, and he can attack those well, 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 those guys. If he sees Gary Harris, I think he's going to treat Gary Harris in a very similar way that he did Gary Trent Jr. Um, but Anthony Davis, to me, this is, again, a series that is sort of skewing in Anthony Davis's direction as the guy who the other team really doesn't have an answer for. Yeah. Um, and so... I'm interested, so let's talk about AD, and let's talk about LeBron, too, but, but let's start with, with AD. 
to me, this can be one of those series where I think that he can be a dominant player. Um, and just, like, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Davis had one of those, like, like 38.15 rebound nights sure. with, like, a couple of blocks and a couple of steals, right? Like, it just wouldn't surprise me. The, um, Denver is not, they like, they do not have big athletes, like Jeremy Grant, like you, you know, Michael Porter Jr. is a good athlete, right? But he's nowhere near defensively seasoned enough to guard Anthony Davis. Yeah, he's just young. Um, so I see this as being a series where AD can sort of, if there's a series where it's like impose your will, right? Everyone thought that, every, like everyone said that against Houston, but this is a series where I think that's more a thing. Like, like, what are your thoughts on AD versus this team? Yeah, there's just the discrepancy in athleticism between the two teams in the front court, with AD being the most glaring example of that. Um, I think we're going to see more LeBron AD pick and roll than we have in the first two series. This is a team where with Jokic, especially like Jokic is not particularly good on his hedges, and it still plays into the whole idea of make Jokic work. Like even that has its own benefits when Jokic is on, on offense and exhausted because he's had to defend 15 AD LeBron AD pick and rolls in this game. This is also part of the reason why going to that smaller lineup, which I don't think we'll do, but that's why I think it's going to be very beneficial for us is I help, I think it helps fatigue Jokic in a way on the defensive end where it's not just us getting out and running. It's him having to be very active as a, as a pick and roll defender. Um, but yeah, that I mean, and and even LeBron, right? Like you know, Jeremy Grant's a, a fantastic player, and I expect you know he'll be on both LeBron and AD at different parts of the series. But I I don't see how they defend those two guys. And if you look at the the tape throughout the season, like both of those guys, while playing on their you know at their regular season mode, just their numbers were ridiculous against Denver, and they. You know, we're getting a ton of shot attempts, a ton of leak outs, just a ton of like athletic plays. There was a, a clip of Mike Malone coming back. You know how they do the interviews at the end of the between the third quarter and fourth quarter and first and second. Um, and he was telling his team, right, like if if we get into a run, a run and jump contest with the Lakers, we're going to lose. And let's get them into a run and jump contest, yeah. right? Like, and then, then like and sometimes it's not not that difficult, right? And and Mike Malone sees that, and he's going to try to do whatever he can to to mitigate that. I'd expect that AD gets doubled, that they try to make him a passer, and Lakers will have to be, you know, have have their counters to that set up. But also with that, like, Denver's not a trapping team because trapping teams are generally more athletic. They're all very good on defense, though. That's one thing that I, I don't think people give them enough credit for because they do, like— a very fairly conventional defensive scheme because Jokic, right? He's not a, the most mobile guy, but everybody's really on point. They're all together. It's part of that continuity yeah. of a team that grows together, and, and you know, so they're they're going to execute that. But the moment that we like great players can break this type of defense because all of a sudden just doing like playing regular basketball for them is not going to be enough. And they don't have the athletes, I think, to scramble. And I think that they're going to have to scramble against us. Where I would say the 
the thing I would say is like, what has been the main strength that you have said and that you and I have discussed a bunch of the Lakers offense? Like what is the best thing that Anthony Davis and LeBron James both do? Attack the rim, just an assault on the front of the rim. Exactly. That is where Denver's defense is weakest, mm-hmm. right? They do not have rim protectors back there. They like they just don't. One of the ways that I thought the Clippers really struggled against um, against Denver is that they really became, and I think this is part of the Clippers' DNA, regardless. But um, they really became like a volume jump shooting team, right? Like Paul George, like even Kawhi Leonard, he was like living in the mid range a bunch, but where was Kawhi at, at his best against the Den, like against the Denver Nuggets? It was when he was going to the basket and finishing at the rim. And the same was true of Paul George, right? Um, They just didn't do nearly enough of that and credit Denver's defense for keeping them out of the paint to the extent that they did. But also, I think there was a little bit of a lack of of stubbornness by those guys to say, you know what, I'm just putting my head down and I'm just going to get there, right? And Mm -hmm. when I went back and watched all of LeBron's baskets from the playoffs, that was the common theme that I saw. It was oh, you know what? He made up his mind. He's going to the basket, right? And and there's not much they And there's not much it. that they yeah. could do about it, especially when the Lakers were playing smaller and smaller over the course of, of really each playoff series, right? And, and so that's where I think if there's an argument for the Lakers to go smaller, that is sort of like a peripheral benefit to that. It's the spacing that it will give LeBron in order to threaten the front of the rim. And I think this is probably a series, too, where if they do go pick and heavy or pick and roll heavy, both with AD, but even if JaVale is in the game or or Dwight Dwight is in Mm -hmm. the game, there will be a lot of that, hey, set your screen and get downhill, get downhill, get downhill. Get to the front of the rim. And get to the front front of the rim and make the roll man, make the tag man sink. Right. This has not been a playoffs a lot this like so far where where the Lakers have done a lot of that. Right. Like against Portland, there was a lot of two big lineups. And so the paint was really crowded and it became more of a transition series and a LeBron in the post series and then AD in the post series. Right. Um, And then against Houston, they pretty much switched everything and then the Lakers went smaller and smaller and it really became a driving series like at the point of attack this is a series potentially where it could be a more traditional offensive series for the Lakers in terms of pick and roll stuff where it is pick roll threaten with the lob threaten with with the drive spray out passes right those those cross-court kick kickouts to KCP to Danny Green to Kyle Kuzma to Alex Caruso, to and so on and so on and so on, right? And if the Lakers are able to threaten the front of the rim the way that they can, and then more importantly, score that way, right? Then that's where I think they have the ability to sort of break down whatever Denver is doing and make this more about what the Lakers are doing to them rather than all the stuff we talked about in the first part of the pod, right? 
Yeah, no, this is going to be another, this is going to be the theme of every series the Lakers play in and uh, just asserting their will of that bigger, faster, stronger. Like it's, it's because it's such a cliche, that whole bigger, faster, stronger, but it's like a concept that I, I truly believe that they built around, right? Like this team is an antidote to, to small ball. They're an antidote to the five out type of style, right? With all of the distance and space that they can cover on both ends of the floor, right? Like we can play with a lot of force with you know that's something Palenka talks about and playing with thrust is, is the term he uses and this team is very much built around that concept right and so that's you know that's something where getting downhill getting that gravity our vertical gravity toward the rim is one of the ways that we do assert our will on teams and similar to Houston that idea of the series being won on the offensive end vertically this is going to be another series like that in coverages that are much more vulnerable to that than switches are with Houston right so we should see a lot of lobs in this series would be would be my guess here's hoping man like <laughs> no seriously be, because i honestly think that if the lakers are leveraging their athleticism the series tilts in their favor in a way that's going to be hard for denver to get back right like um denver's ability to come back against the clippers was almost predominantly based off of um the clippers taking and missing jump shots right and then denver's not a fast team they weren't running or anything but they got stops, and then they leveraged their size, right? They leveraged Jokic as, as this unguardable piece that was really difficult for, um, for the Clippers to match up with. He was, he was too sort of skilled and stretchy for Zubots, and he was too big for Montrez Harrell. And um, if th- that's... That's the thing that Anthony Davis can cover up, right? And, and I think that speaks to that, like, like you had said earlier dur- during the pod about trying to create that matchup, right, with AD mm-hmm. defending Jokic as much as possible. Um, not only to be able to switch, right, because if, if, if you are switching on these actions where Jokic is the screener, then AD is the one who's enveloping Jamal Murray or making it so that Gary Harris is having to take a tough jump shot or having to like swing, swing the ball again. And then you can switch out of that again. But, um, but also because individually as, as, as a defender, AD can be the antidote for the things that Jokic does well, right? Like he can battle with him in the post. He's rangy enough to cover him out out to the three-point line, and he is athletic enough then to stay with him when Jokic tries to, like, show and go the way that he does um, against other slow, slow-footed players. But Jokic is his own sort of, like, um, like, like drunken style, right? With, like, <laughs> yes. right? Just, like, the way... It's great. I love it. Yes. Like, just the way that he sort of plods down the court after like a show and go, it's just like, oh, sidestep here, little jump step here. Like, oh, I'm going, yeah, he's great. I'm going off on my right foot and shooting a right footed, like running jumper. And it's just sort of like, like, what are you, bro? Like, right. Like you are this, you're like, you're this 
weird like Jackie Chan movie character. Like like I don't get it. Sure. So <laughs> but A D but but A D is nimble enough and gifted enough physically to, to to sort of like match up against that. And I think that that's really probably like the end of our preview, right? Because in the end, that's it. That's what it comes down to. Like, um, is Anthony Davis and LeBron James sort of like rising to another level athletically while also being like smart and skilled and, and everything else. And if the series is going to tilt in the Lakers direction, it's going to be that way, which is like the theme of the playoffs so far. That's right. That's right. And so long as you have that um, appropriate fear, you can leverage those advantages. But without it, as we saw with the Clippers, um, you can meet an unexpected fate. So Lakers are going to have to take this series very seriously in order to to pull through. Um, so we got game one on Friday. Uh, we'll get back to you with our recap of that. Uh, on you know, You'll have that on late Friday night. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Ainge has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Gamble in and out. The ball is tipped, and it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds, an amazing performance by Kobe. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I know... Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple on a fall away in the corner with a shot locked down. Lakers by three. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietras jogging back. Didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Powell. There's the move. Two, one, missing. Brian. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me?